In this episode of Passion for Impact, I have the cool honor of chatting with Shannon Christensen, founder and CEO of Mamas for Mamas, a specialized poverty relief agency and an all-inclusive community for mothers and caregivers. Mamas for Mamas envisions a future where no mama or child is left behind. Now, as a mom myself, I can't imagine the stress of needing things, basic things for my kids and not being able to go out and get them. But this is the reality for many women and families. Now, this organization is a powerful bridge and provider of not only goods and necessities, but also hope and community and connection. Shannon's story, her inspiring story, is a powerful example of seeing a need, feeling a calling, and believing in a dream. Are you ready to be inspired and empowered to engineer even more impact in your business and life? Grab your favorite beverage and let's have a conversation. This is the Passion for Impact podcast with speaker, trainer, and socially conscious advocate, Trisha Miltimore. Thank you for joining in. This is the Passion for Impact podcast, where we have one clear goal, to educate, empower, and elevate social consciousness in people, business, and teams. Be sure to subscribe to receive links to featured companies, people, and offers. To subscribe, visit passionigniter.ca forward slash podcast. My guest today is a most inspiring nurturer of the human spirit. Her impact is felt close to home and also across the country. Shannon Christensen is passionate about her family, friends, and her community. She's also a mom of two young boys. With a BA in psychology and a master's of counseling psychology, she has a passion for working with marginalized populations and used this drive to start Mamas for Mamas a registered nonprofit organization dedicated to reducing the negative impact of poverty on low-income mothers and their families. Shannon has been recognized as a top 40 under 40 recipient, a woman to watch, yes she is, and was a top three finalist for Women of the Year through the City of Kelowna Civic and Community Awards. So here's a really big question to ask. What if we broke down the barriers of social class and invited mamas of every socioeconomic background to join an online community where everything was free or traded? I mean, all baby items, kids' clothing, gear, and household items that were being sold online are now free. And the only expectation is you just have to be kind to your fellow mama to receive what you needed. Now, this is the question that started it all to tell us more and to share her really powerful and um, just, I don't, I don't know, her story is just so, I relate to it so in so many different ways. Let's invite Shannon to the show. Shannon, hi. How are you? Oh, Thanks hello. for being here. Thank you for having me, Trisha. I really appreciate it. I'm I'm really excited about this conversation because uh, we were kind of talking uh, right before we started recording, but there's so much about your story that I think people can just relate to because it's not like you had this massive grand vision in the beginning and you knew all the steps and you just <laughs> went for it with grit and you know, vision. It just wasn't like that. So Mamas for Mamas, tell tell us what, what is Mamas for Mamas and how did it start? Well, it's funny because, you know, Mamas for Mamas, um, much like women, is an ever-evolving being. And, you know, in the beginning, she was, um, you know, a dream that I had to create a, a village, you know, a community for mamas where kindness was the currency. We needed to break down this sense of competition. And so, you know, as a young mama, I had two little babes, uh, basically a newborn and a three-year-old. And I had just finished my master's and I was working in the forensic field and I just didn't have a lot of joy in my life other than my babies, you know, and I didn't have anybody with whom to share that joy. Um, you know, I was 26 with two babies. Most of my friends were out um, in university or traveling, um, you know, and I really just felt that deep desire to belong. And motherhood hadn't really given me the most wonderful welcome. Um, my baby was seven weeks early. Um, you know, he was preemie. It was scary. Um, my dad had passed away the year before unexpectedly of a heart attack, um, actually the day after I got married. Um, and so my world was in such turmoil in so many ways that I just wanted to find a place where mamas could exist peacefully without turmoil. And so, you know, I was speaking with my Nana one day, my maternal Nana, um, and I was just saying, I don't know where the village is. And she says, oh, well, in her little accent, you know, oh, well, honey, you know, if you don't have a village, you must build one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> she just had this way. And I was so 
I, I was just, I felt defeated, Trisha, to be totally honest. I didn't know what I had gotten myself into. I had postpartum depression. It was unidentified. I just felt like a, a miserable failure in every aspect of my life. Um, and I think that's something we can all relate to in so many ways. And it's also something that, um, you know, we allow to perpetuate when we are alone in it and we don't have mm -hmm. somebody um, correcting us or reminding us that we're good enough. And so, you know, I had started a Facebook page after that conversation with my Nana and I called it Mamas for Mamas because that's what we called my mom when we were growing up was Mama, you know, and every kid that needed a place to go for a warm meal or a place to sleep or someone to just listen to them and what was going on, they came to our house and my mama was everyone's mama. And so Mamas for Mamas was born. It was April 2014. And I just thought, well, why not? What's the worst thing that could possibly happen? It doesn't take off. It's not a success. And people don't want to give their stuff away for free in exchange for kindness. Whatever. If it doesn't work, then at least maybe I'll meet a cool friend or two that I can trade clothes with. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's all I was looking for. Um, wow. <laughs> so, you know, fast forward to... Uh, to where we are today. And it's a, a national poverty relief agency that has been developed out of a very intricate need and a needs assessment. Um, you know, from every community that we enter into, our goal is to make sure that we are finding the resources. And that's something that nonprofits generally don't um, provide as a service because essentially you are sending people to other nonprofits programs. You're giving them the statistics to then apply for more money for more grants. You are um, potentially in the backwards mindset of many nonprofit leaders, um, you are giving away a piece of your pie by going through this ongoing navigation and referral system, which I just disagree with so vehemently, I can't even express it uh, properly in words. But if we collaborate and we find the resources that are available in our communities, first and foremost, we will be able to help the mamas right away with what's available. So let's say a food bank, um, other food security programs, um, might get you two weeks worth of food for the month. And then what do you do for the other two weeks if you have nowhere to go? Well, we identified that was a huge need. So we built the Mamas for Mama Sustainable Nourishment Program. And we don't go to the store and buy food. We decided that we were going to do things like your mama would. So we asked a landowner if we could have an acre of their land um, in exchange for giving them half of the eggs that our chickens produce that we decided to now become hen mamas. I don't know. <laughs> it was just like finding creative ways to very complex uh, socioeconomic situations that really have a pretty simple answer. If you care about your neighbor and you're building a longer table instead of a higher fence, everybody's going to have what they need. So, yeah, I mean, really at this point, Mamas for Mamas um, has, has blossomed into something that I think had just so much need. And it's not just the online sharing economy or the peer-to-peer -peer support that, you know, is more than a million donations and trades are going on between our 62 branches across Canada, saving things from the landfill, redistributing the, the items that are still in good condition, redistributing the wealth, really, at the end of the day. So these mamas aren't spending their, their next $100 on the stroller they need. They can spend it on food because they were given a stroller. Mm -hmm. And that's what we like to call a hand up, not a handout. Right. Wow, 62 locations? There's 62, yeah. So it's interesting wow. the way we do things. It's always backwards. Let me just throw that out there right at the beginning because people always say, how do I start a branch of Mamas for Mamas? And I say, well, it's kind of like a nonprofit uh, franchise is the wrong word, but let's use that just for the sake of, of uh, well, just for the sake of not having another word. But it's a nonprofit franchise that you buy into with your sweat equity and your love to give back. So when you have an interest in opening a new branch, for example, I just met two of the most amazing women in Red Deer, um, and they are, one's a social worker and one is a doula. Perfect fit for mamas. You've got somebody who can do the resource navigation right away. You've got a doula who is well-versed in maternal health and the available services in their community, but also they are aware of what the gaps are. So I said mm -hmm. to them, okay, listen, you know, if we can start to get uh, the group online really going and the community starts to engage, we have developed that online sharing economy, the peer-to-peer -peer platform where mamas can ask each other for support, items, and help. And that platform helps us to identify what's not already available. Because when people don't have their needs met on the group, that's when it moves into the community safety net of the charity. And oh. so it's just this 
like I said, backwards way. We don't open an office space um, and get a social worker who's paid to see mamas um, directly or to do the food programs right away. We basically work with community partners um, to redistribute what they are no longer using to the mamas directly so that we have 0% administrative overhead when we start any new branch. And in the nonprofit world, that is basically unheard of because who the heck wants to work for free? Well, people with purpose and passion, that's who. So you're surrounded with by people with purpose and passion 24-7. Every day. Wow. It is inspiring and exhausting sometimes because, holy man, I wish I could keep up with some of the girls on our team. They're just so incredible that I'm like, oh, my gosh, when do you sleep? <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about uh, impact burnout maybe a little bit later on. But um, Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I thing. have gone through it and I've come out of it. And my God, am I ever grateful to be on the other side. <laughs> You have lots of wisdom oh. share on that for sure. Let's go back to okay. You're you're a 26 year old mom of two little kids, two under the age yeah. of three. Been yeah. there, totally overwhelming. Uh, you oh, got the yeah. hormone going on. You got the <laughs> I need community. I want to make some friends. I feel alone. Um, undiagnosed postpartum depression. I mean, all these things yeah. coming together. So you throw yeah. this out there on Facebook. Tell me about the process. Like, was it you know, maybe someone reached out and said, "Hey, I'll like." I'll take a trade or, and what yep. was that? Maybe the first like six months, what was that like for you? <laughs> it was grueling. That is the, really the only word I can think of. Um, I was so damn determined to make sure that this was going to be a safe, supportive space for women that I just did it all myself in the first while. So anytime somebody put a post up that was, I'm looking for, you know, a baby seat or a car seat or whatever it might have been. I made it my mission to find it. Often I'd even go to buy and sell pages and buy it because I didn't want to, ha to have to say no. And I was in a financially, um, well, you know, I was in a good position financially. My dad had passed away um, and left me with some money that I, that I felt guilty having. And so, you know, of course I, you know, supported my family and, you know, we bought a house and things like that, but it was like, I have this extra, um, financial capacity to make this mama's life so much better. And if she then takes that and turns it into a ripple effect, like what a community we would have where mamas are truly out there looking after each other. And even mamas that don't know each other because of this, this collective conscious thread that runs through all of us that somehow we have kind of pushed off to the wayside. So it was me and my two babies and my truck and it would just, I'd load it up first thing in the morning, we would do three or four pickups and then we'd do three or four drop-offs. And it was just, it was filling my cup in a way that even if it hadn't gone any further than that, I would have been so proud and so pleased at, at the um, ability to even just connect mothers during a time when competition is so fierce on every level. And, uh, you know, after about six months or so, some traction really started to pick up. And then, then people were like, hey, I want to give you the items directly. I don't want to do the peer-to-peer because -peer I don't want to have to wait for her to pick it up from my house or whatever the situation may have been. And so I started taking donations in to my garage. Well, soon after, I had a garage full of items. And I'm thinking, what in the hell am I going to do <laughs> with 72 bags of baby clothes? So then I thought, well, you know what, let's go out to the Boys and Girls Club gym. We had a, a crew of volunteers at that point, three or four, who were just dedicated. They were right in there like a dirty shirt. And we all loaded up our vehicles from my garage and we drove down to the Boys and Girls Club gym. We spent a couple hours putting everything out on tables, kind of like a, a free thrift shop. And we just let people come in and pick up whatever they needed at no cost. And it was like, oh, this is really cool. Like people are, are coming in. They're so happy. You know, they have this look of relief on their face like they just won the lottery because they're able to pick up everything they need for their two, three kids for the next season. And we kind of thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool if we had a space where this was kind of set up all the time, you know, where people could come in and they could drop off the items they were no longer using for their kids in good condition. Of course, we don't give away anything that's broken or anything. Um, and then they could come in and shop for what they needed. And that's where the idea of the karma market came from was really, again, just out of this natural growth into what mamas were asking for and continuing to find a creative, innovative way to meet the need with zero money. Um, you know, so we had a little bit, you know, we had a storage unit cost $200 a month. So, you know, I was trying to do everything the right way. So bottle drives and, you know, raise the money for the nonprofit. And then 
after after the seventh bottle drive, I just paid for it myself because I my boys and I were just exhausted and we just needed <laughs> to pay for the storage unit. <laughs> so wow. you know, it was it was uh, you know about December of that first year that I was like, you know what, I feel like I should turn this into a nonprofit. You know, that was basically the first time I'd ever really thought about making it something greater than a Facebook group. But I had people being like, hey, I, I'll give you 500 bucks for, you know, the Mamas for Mamas uh, donation program, but can I get a tax receipt? And I said, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> Not even kidding. <laughs> it was like, oh, sure, a tax receipt. Okay, let me look into that. So I went back on Facebook and I posted, okay, guys, I'm starting a nonprofit. Does anyone have any idea what a tax receipt is and where I could start my bylaws or whatever they were called. I was like, literally didn't know what a bylaw was. And it was actually our current mental health supervisor's husband, Mark, who popped up and he's like, he sent me like two or three links and he's like, go here, you can get your name registered here. And then, you know, you can go to this website and register here. And he's like, I'm so proud of you. And I'm like, oh my God, you don't even have kids and you totally get this. Okay. I'm doing it. That's it. I'm doing it. (laughs) I was just so jazzed. And so we registered as a nonprofit. Um, December 1st, 2014 was when we became kind of legitimate, I guess you would say. But then it turns out, Tricia, you can't write tax receipts as a nonprofit. You need to now become a registered charity with the CRA. I'm like, oh, that can't be too hard. Whatever. It's fine. I'll just do it off the side of my desk after I'm done my uh, sexual assault trauma work that I do. So I was doing full-time sexual assault trauma counseling, um, working with children and uh, mostly children, but some men and women for um, um, childhood sexual abuse and current sexual abuse. So it was pretty heavy, pretty wow. heavy stuff. I, I'm noticing I keep saying, wow, I'm going to stop saying that. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> I'm just like, your story, it's just so organic. Like, it's just like, then this led to this. And that's, you know, I, the, the best things in the yeah. world happen that way. But I just, I'm like, okay, sorry, continue on. Yes. Mm. Well, it's funny because I always say that if I'd ever tried to make it a big successful charity like it is, I don't think it would have become what it is because I wouldn't have celebrated those little victories along the way like I did. Yeah, I wouldn't have seen the value in the incremental um, scaling versus the, you know, getting there tomorrow. It's like everybody wants to live at the top of the mountain, but all the goodness comes from getting there. Hmm. You know, anyway, Hmm. sorry, I, I digress. Um, but you know, so we, we became a, a registered charity three years later. That's how long it took for me to convince Joanne Nadeau, I'll never forget her name, with the CRA <laughs> because she was so great. I remember writing in and saying, okay, I have the best idea. I'm going to start a registered charity and it's going to support moms from all socioeconomic backgrounds. And she goes, no. You can't do that. You have to support people either in poverty, under a religious mandate, under a sports mandate, or other. Those are the four ways you can become a registered charity in Canada. You're not allowed to help people that already have enough money. I said, but Joanne, mental health is an issue too. Mental health poverty is rampant and just as big of an issue as financial poverty. And women who don't have the right access to the resources or the people with whom to discuss these issues, they're going to be experiencing a different level of poverty. So you tell me how that doesn't make sense. And she goes, the CRA doesn't (laughs) see mental health as a form of poverty. You tried. I said, well, we'll get to that later. All right. System change will come after this. But I need to get registered. I said, Joanne, I am on to something. I have this great group of women and men and we are killing it. I'm like, we are building programs. We are filling the gaps. And I feel like you need to just help me become a charity. So she says, listen, you need to do exactly what the CRA says. And that means you can only help people um, with the money that you raise and solicit through the poverty relief mandate. And if you do anything else outside of that without using any money and you want to be creative and find ways to get mamas from all socioeconomic backgrounds to connect, she goes, keep it on Facebook. Do it that way. She goes, but I can't register a Facebook group as a charity. It doesn't work that way. (laughs) So here I am again, everything backwards. Most people start a charity and then they do a Facebook group to promote it or discuss it or um, compliment it. So it was January 27th, 2017, that that letter finally came in. And I'm actually getting goosebumps as I'm talking about it. And it almost makes me cry, which I might every time I think Mm -hmm. about it, because you only get three kicks at the can. And that was our third kick at the can. (laughs) And I 
was so convinced that this was my path, but it was up to an entity out there to determine whether or not I was going to be able to do it. And that is when I realized that that is exactly what these mamas face every day when the ministry is telling them when they can see their kids, when the bank is telling them that they don't have enough to pay their mortgage or their rent. You know, it's when it's when these mamas and these papas are facing institutions and they don't have the power to fight back and say, nah, Joanne, <laughs> I'm going to do this and I just need to find a way. And I realized in that moment, holy shit, Mother Goose, like I, I am going to fight the system. This isn't just about creating a safe space online anymore. This is about creating a safe space in society for mothers to be mothers and to do that without being punished for it. We should not have to lose out on every opportunity because we want to provide a great life for our children. And you know what? That's happening in so many families. Um, And I just 100% was not okay with that. And so we started working on the Band-Aid right away, of course, but we started getting really, you know, deeply into surgery. We started sitting on the poverty reduction committees at the local and provincial and the federal level. We started really looking into the why behind keeping these families in a position of powerlessness and that is the epicenter of the why behind mamas for mamas is it's giving power back to the families that never should have had it taken away in the first place money is power knowledge is power connection is power and a sense of belonging is the strongest predictor of mental health and the poverty relief systems currently in place make all of that impossible and i call bs so in what ways do they make it impossible for those of us who've never, I mean, I was w- watching that um, video on your homepage or about page yeah. on mamasformamas.org and, mm-hmm. you know, seeing the woman wake up and not ha- have one diaper left and then not have enough formula to feed. And it's like, you know, I, my heart just breaks. Yeah. So in what ways are you, now that you've gone through this process and you're in the position you are, like, what, what is really holding these families back? Well, I'd say there's a like 18 prong effect, but I'll just go with the first couple big ones. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the biggest things is the the poverty line is way too low. So when you make under $42,500 a year, you get all sorts of support from the government, which is which is incredible. Um, but it also makes it very difficult to go back to work. Because as soon as you start going back to work, every dollar you make is taken off of the aid that you're getting from the government. So it really is kind of counterintuitive to go back to work for $13 or $14 an hour to pay $14 an hour for someone to watch your child, only for you to have that money then um, clawed back from what you were getting from the government as a uh, subsidy support of some kind. So it's basically they're punishing you when you're trying to get ahead. Uh, If you are looking to access certain agencies, um, you need to sell your vehicle and every asset you have to show them that you don't have anything else to your name before they'll help you. I mean, why are we putting people in a position where um, prevention isn't an option? This is what kind of drives me crazy. And I'm not even just talking social economy here. I'm talking basic dollars and cents economy. It costs way more to have a family fall into destitute poverty and have to go through the shelter system, which is thousands of dollars a month, go through the rehousing system, go through the job retraining system, go through getting back on their feet when we could have just helped prevent them from falling. I'd say it's probably 20% of the cost to put in a preventative measure to make sure these families don't end up homeless or they don't end up in a position where they have to sell everything they own just to qualify for some basic supports. And then at the end of the day, you know, they're able to uh, hold their head up high. They're able to Uh, pick up where they left off for whatever reason that they were in a financially difficult situation. If we give them a hand up out of that and allow them to move forward, they are costing less money for the government. They are basically allowing the, um, the workforce to bring them back in. They're then paying taxes. They are, they are contributing back to the economy rather than taking from it. Um, but I believe, and this is not a conspiracy theory, I swear, this is just my, my belief system, is that when we keep a certain number of people in powerlessness, um, it's a lot easier to get away with nonsense. And I think that you know, people that have um, experience in chronic poverty will say that poverty isn't a lack of wealth, it's a lack of justice. And that is what I'm going after here. Wow. 
one thing that really strikes me as you share your story about how Mamas for Mamas grew is your uh, openness to learning and, and level of adaptability and innovation as as it evolved. And I, I'm imagining it yeah. continues to evolve. So I think I think people who are yeah. listening who have companies of their own or platforms or have ideas to to be aware that it's the adaptability and the innovation to evolve yeah. as you go, right? Absolutely. And it's, it's making a plan uh, just because you're going to break it. You know, it's great to have a plan and it's great to have goals to put in front of you. Um, and it's really important to be able to pivot when those goals shift and when mm-hmm. the needs shift. You know, COVID really uh, highlighted that for us in a big way. Um, it could have taken us out completely if we were complacent. Um, which we're not. Um, Clearly. But it, it was it was the most stressful couple months of my entire life. I have 23 staff members who are some of my all-time favorite people on this planet. They are such incredible human beings, and it was just not in the cards to lay them off. They were helping people out of poverty. I was not about to put them in poverty as a result of of, uh, the pandemic and everything flipping on its head. So, you know, we had been event based as a, you know, a fundraising uh, model in many ways. We had put too many of our eggs in one basket. And that's something I learned a great deal about in uh, pivoting through COVID is that, you know what, you absolutely need at least five buckets from which you uh, pull revenue in any company, whether it's for-profit, non-profit, whatever the situation, uh, you can't depend just on grants. I've never depended just on grants. I've depended mostly on um, community-based solicited funding because then we can also be creative um, with the funding and we don't have to help people that are just under the government-mandated poverty line. So that's the other thing is that when you get all the money from the government, they tell you where to spend it and how to spend it. And if you want to help somebody who is over that $42,500 poverty line, no thank you. And again, you're making 60 grand a year with a family of four. You're still 10 grand under the poverty line for Kelowna's cost of living. So what are those families supposed to do? Hmm. It's just, it's, it's mind boggling, really. Um, but I digress. Once again, I just got onto a t- tangent. <laughs> no, it's very illuminating. Um, Kate, let's go back to that uh, moment in your life when you're working full time, uh, helping adults and youth with um, sexual trauma essentially yeah. right yep okay so that that is very heavy can you yeah. imagine that yeah and tough. you have two young children mm-hmm. and you've started mamas for mamas and it's taking off and it's evolving and growing and you're learning and w- yeah. at what point did you step into your leadership role at what point were you like okay i you know that like that change yeah. in mindset yeah do you oh, remember man, when it that's happened a great question um you know i would have I would love to be able to say that it was sooner than it was, um, but I'm going to say right now, um, I stepped into many versions of a leadership role over the last four years, um, and none of them were as vulnerable as they needed to be. And I was trying to bring too much masculine energy, you know, that dominant power mm-hmm. um, when it come when it came to some of my leadership tactics, I think anyway, as I'm doing a really solid reflection of myself as a leader, you know, I would say that right now I'm stepping into the real leadership role as the CEO of Mamas for Mamas Canada. But you know what? No, the first day I walked into our new office space. So that was May 1st, 2017. We'd just become a registered charity. It was actually a little office space just down the street from my sexual assault trauma treatment clinic. And uh, my coworker actually saw it and she goes, I think we found our space. So we went in, we took a look. It was 3,600 bucks per month. We had $300 in the account. So of course I signed a five-year lease right then. I said, you know what? This is my space. I need it. (laughs) I'm committing to it. And in that moment, when I shook Tom's hand, the sweet landlord is just, I'll, I'll owe a debt of gratitude to him for the rest of my life because he helped make that happen. And he knew we couldn't afford it, but he, he knew that I was going to find a way. And, and I did, you know, I actually put my house up for sale that year and I pulled another hundred grand out of the equity and we bought a smaller house so that we could continue on with that journey. And just in case we didn't have the grants right away, or just in case we didn't have the fundraising dollars in the bank for the, the hard costs as I was learning the language, um, I knew that I was just going to fund it because it was it was just that important. So in that moment, when I made the decision to take the leap of faith is when I is when I first stepped into my leadership role. 
That is definitely a leap of faith. And I, I think that's yeah, that's a hard one for a lot of people to to take that next step. And and for anyone listening, it's not like a step you you have to take. It can be no. it can show up in many different ways. Well, yeah, um, and I wouldn't recommend uh, as a business advisor. Not that I'm a business advisor, but I wouldn't recommend selling your home to run a nonprofit. I did that against a lot of advice. Although my husband was behind me 100%, and that's the only person that mattered at that time. And so, yeah, on a wing and a prayer. But I would say next time I'd probably take out a shareholder's loan. <laughs> The things we learn, right? Exactly. <laughs> someone, someone listening right now is like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Write that yeah. down. <laughs> like actually though, um, there were, there was a lot more um, opportunities for me to have pulled the funds from somewhere else. But you know what? I'm glad I did it the way I did because I didn't want to live in that big house anyway. I didn't need it and it wasn't me. So the mm-hmm. universe brings you to where you need to be. Let's talk a little bit about the whole, um, <laughs> if you don't mind, the partnership thing. It was good wisdom, by the way. Um, cause I think a lot of people who want to do make impact, especially maybe if, even if they're with their partners in their business or their, yeah. you know, your husband, like, so how do you show up and say, this is what I believe in. I mean, you yeah. sound, it sounds like you have a really supportive partner. Yeah. Was there, I'm sure there's been a time or two where you feel like you have to maybe justify or, <laughs> or maybe there is guilt or there isn't, I don't know. I know my own business as a mom working, I felt different versions of that kind of guilt. Yeah. How, how do you manage that? How do, and how do you, what have you learned navigating those waters? Oh, such a good question. Like, okay. So I met, I met my husband when I was 18. Um, we've been together 16 years and we've grown up together as, as a result of that. He was 24. So he had his poop in a group at a different level. You know, he's finished school and had a house and everything. But when we first met, um, he fell in love with the passion in me. And I knew that. And there was something about mamas for mamas that he loved as much as I did. And although, yes, there have been many times where, for the most part, the only frustration he has is that I am so busy with work that he doesn't get enough time with me. You know, it's a pretty good problem to have when your partner is only upset with you because he just loves you so damn much and wants to be with you and you're out helping the mamas and changing the world and haven't been home in three days. And, you know, that was really the point of struggle Um, for us and for me, because I just felt like I couldn't say no to any opportunity. And I really, truly felt like every time anything presented, if I didn't take it, mamas could go under and that would be the reason. And that's a perfectionistic mindset that is really unhealthy. Kind of like what Brené Brown says, I'm a recovering perfectionist (laughs) one day at a time. Um, But you know what, we've done some really important work around that. Uh, I did some intuitive uh, meditation work. I did uh, a coaching actually, so I could learn to coach intuitive meditation for our mamas. But Mm -hmm. in the process of doing that, I realized that I was always reaching. I was always striving. I was always trying to be more than just the authentic, vulnerable me. And it made me always want to go out and do more, one more thing. And I realized the impact that was having on my family and not just my husband, but my boys. You know, I had somehow convinced myself that because they had uh, a roof over their head and loving parents and food and anything they could need, that if I wasn't around all the time, that would be okay. Because I was out helping families that didn't have a roof over their head or food to eat. And you know what? I was wrong. Just going to throw it out there. Um, that's the biggest lesson that I have learned in all of this when it comes to, uh, the struggles with my husband and I understanding what I'm doing in the world. And even before I was getting paid, it was a bit of a struggle. You know, when I was volunteering 60 hours a week, I quit my full-time trauma therapy job where I made good money and I had benefits and I had, you know, kind of our life was, was starting to get set up. And I said, Oh, by the way, though, I'm going to sell our house. Um, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to volunteer until mamas can pay me. And he goes, do you think that's the wisest like financial decision? And I said, no, but kindness is my currency. <laughs> <laughs> How do you argue with that, right? I know, and he's an engineer. So he's all numbers. He's all brain. He is, he's the smartest man I know. And he's all logic. But you know what? When it comes to me, he's all love. And he knew this was something that um, not only I needed to do, but he was really proud of it. I remember saying one time when I was really burnt out, because I did go through a very, very nasty burnout in 2018. um, And I remember saying to him, what if we just turned it back to a Facebook group? What if I just went back into counseling full time? You know, what if I just, what if I just admit defeat? I said, I don't think I can do this, Dell. I don't think I have the guts. I don't think I have the the lady balls. And I said, my heart hurts every day because I can't say yes. I can't. I can't solve these problems and I'm feeling helpless. And he said, then be better. (laughs) 
<laughs> work harder, do more. He goes, you can't, you can't let this go, Shan. No way. He goes, every single person that you have helped in this community needs you. And they're going to turn to help the next person. You can't stop the train now. And he goes, honestly, Shan, even if you wanted to turn it back into a Facebook group, you've done so much now that I don't think anyone would accept that. He goes, I sure don't. And wow. yeah. So you picked your lady balls up. Yeah. Re- oh, right off the floor. Yeah. Right off the floor. And I thought, okay, you know what? And there was, you know, some t- t- turnover uh, with our team around that time. And I was feeling like a massive failure. So this is the, this is the thing is I was taking it personally as a leader. If anybody who had worked with us uh, leading up to this point was like, oh yeah, I'm going to go and work for money now. And I'm like, excuse me, <laughs> um, what do you mean you're leaving mamas? And you know, I had to really learn that people are in your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And just because I truly believed that, you know, a couple of the w- the women who had founded Mamas with Me or who, had, you know, were there right from the beginning, um, I thought they were going to be there until the end. But you know what? They were. They were there until their end. And then they found something that had inspired them through Mamas, and they built a new journey for themselves. And that's something that I was upset about in the beginning because I felt like I lost them. But in, in reality, the community had gained them. And so it made me realize, like, I want to be the kind of leader that has a team that everyone wants to poach. And you know what? They will get poached because they're that good. And if that's the case, I just have to be that proud of them that they're taking the leap and they're taking the next step. But 2018 was the first time one of our core staff volunteer mamas, you know, had kind of gone on her own way. And I just thought I failed. I have failed as a leader. I have failed as a manager. You know, I don't know what to do to make this better. And so I became a doormat and I started letting everybody tell me what they wanted. And I was, you know, kind of engaging in collaborative management, always asking everybody's opinion. Well, what do you think? And what do you think? And, and that's what I mean when I say that right now is when I feel like I'm really stepping into my big girl panties, blazer Shannon, you know, where I truly feel like I don't need to get um, approval and permission from every single person who's involved with the situation. Yes, I'll get their insight. Yes, I'll make sure I hear them. But I need to be able to make a decision based on my uh, my knowledge, uh, the big picture view, and my intuition. And I've stopped questioning myself as of the last month or so. Very recently, I've stopped questioning myself and I've actually given myself permission to be vulnerable and to be wrong and to be right. You know? Mm, yeah. I think just, that right part is is almost the the strongest part of that sentence. You know, and as mm-hmm. women, we're taught to be so soft in our approach to being right, you know, mm-hmm. that we are almost afraid of asserting ourselves and our opinions for fear of being a, a bully or a bitch or a bulldozer or what other words have, you know, have we been described as as women uh, that men would then be described as efficient and dominant and productive, (laughs) confident, confident, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I've really just kind of honed my approach to being, um, very connected to the, um, the feminine energy, but with enough of that backbone that the team knows that I mean business, but I also mean business with Buddha in my heart. You know, it's like we are always here for each other. We are always this incredibly supportive team, um, but we are also accountable. We are also, you know, uh, responsible for the lives of very high-risk families. And it is up to us to be uh, professional. It is up to us to be uh, poised for these mamas who are in that state of trauma, that state of fight or flight. It's up to us to have that calm nervous system from which they can mirror and start to come down. Wow. Can I just say that the last five minutes of this conversation, I think were some of the most important and powerful minutes of this podcast to date. Thank you. I'm glad. I'm like, I'm getting right into it. Oh my gosh. Like just the idea that, you know, you want to have a team that people can poach is from a leadership and impact perspective, but also it's from a human side, like, you know, business with Buddha in your heart. I mean, so thank you for sharing that. Oh my gosh. And and thank you for being so honest about your journey because that's not the easiest, that's not the easiest thing to do. Well, I've just started to realize that, you know, like being vulnerable is where real innovation comes from. It's Mm -hmm. where real change comes from. And if we're not willing to look inside to ask, you know, what is it that is triggering me here? Or what is it that is making me react this way? Why am I not responding? Why am I reacting? If we're not willing to look inside for those answers, how can we expect the mamas to come to us and trust that we're going to do the same for them? 
That's a really big question. You know, That's a really good one. if yeah. we're not willing to do our work, why are we asking and expecting the others um, that we're serving to do the same? We are here in service. We are here in support and we are here in solidarity. We are not here to do unto them. We are here to do things with them. And if we can't do our own work and we haven't done our own work, we can't walk that that journey with them as the guide. We simply can't. And it's inappropriate to do so. Wow. So we do a lot of work on our team. We do. We just did a psychological health and safety workshop uh, last Friday. Um, I ran it. You know, I was just trying to make sure the team knew that uh, we have psychological health and safety practices in the workplace. And whatever it is that you're going through, there's somebody on the team that can support you. You know, we offer benefits to all of our teammates because we don't want them having to choose whether or not they are paying the $290 a month for their extended benefit plan. Because many of the mamas that we have on our team came to us um, as clients and they've worked their way up through the ranks. I don't want to, to put it on them to have to choose between proper groceries or, or the ability to have preventative health and wellness. So we cover it as part of the salary. And I think that that's a big, big um, issue in the nonprofit world is that uh, nonprofit leaders are so afraid to treat their staff well for fear the donors will think that their money is being spent frivolously. But once again, coming back to not just social economics and the need to be responsible for your team, but the economics, like the actual dollars and cents, once again, if you are having high turnover and you're retraining people all the time because you're paying low, you're treating them poorly because you're expecting too much of them and you're not engaging in an appropriate energy exchange, you're going to lose great staff and you're going to end up having to pay more money to less qualified people simply because the culture isn't strong. A strong culture is... Uh, a huge contribution to uh, a long-term staff, which is the cornerstone of fiscal accountability and responsibility. Um, as far as I can see, you know, we don't want to be hiring new people all the time. It costs 10 times as much. So, you know, I, I really do challenge the nonprofit leadership model that says that you have to pay your nonprofit staff um, as little as possible on the scale and that you have to nickel and dime them uh, for the time they need to take off for mental health days or to drop their kid off to their Christmas concert or whatever it is. It's like, you know what? No, if you don't nickel and dime your team socially, they will not nickel and dime you economically. It's just common sense. But I just don't understand how nonprofits in general seem to think that they are doing well by their donors by putting their staff in a position of scarcity. It's just it's backwards to me. I think these are lessons that are equally important for for-profit organizations as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And I and I suppose the difference is with uh with nonprofits, we have a board of directors that governs a lot of the um the ins and outs and we have a great board, so that's, you know, we have uh an opportunity to find a way to uh, provide additional uh, cultural supports and benefits and things like that to our team that are approved by our board so that our team is supported preventatively uh, looking after their health and wellness. They are really and truly, they just, they feel that sense of belonging. And if they are hurting or if they are, you know, they lost a loved one or anything like that, they don't need to worry about not being able to pay their rent if they need to go to their sister's funeral. And unfortunately, that is the case in most nonprofits because they just don't have the money to pay for someone who isn't um, basically grinding at 100% productivity all the time. If you have a team that can be productive when they have flexibility as, as to when they're that productive, sometimes it's 11, 12, 1 a.m. when Christine is emailing me uh, the daily updates because she was with her four kids all day. Like, you know, flexibility is productivity. Ooh, that's a good. That's a good line. Ooh, it is a good one. That's, I like that. A, yeah, I should write should, that down. I'm write that one down too. That's a T-shirt, actually, <laughs> Treasure. That's a T-shirt. <laughs> I think so. Flexibility is productivity. It's just well, you know, and these are just things I've picked up along the way, and seems to be working. Mm hmm. I, I think that there's so many lessons here for again, nonprofit, for profit, impact leadership yeah. in leadership in general. Yeah. Um, I love that phrase you use, appropriate energy exchange. That's yeah, that's really good too. Yeah, because sometimes it's not all about the money, right? It's it's um, it's how you treat each other that often um, connects you to the why, and it's it's knowing your team's love languages. That's what we're doing next month is the five uh, workplace love languages test, so that we all understand each other's means of communication that are the most effective for them, so that when we're communicating, we can do it the, the right way the first time. Mm hmm. And meet people where they're at and what they need. Absolutely. And when you meet them where they're at, they'll meet you where you need them to as soon as they can every time. 
What's your vision coming up, let's say five years from now for Mamas for Mamas and for yourself? I would say, well, for Mamas for Mamas, there will be a physical branch in every province um, within five years. Wow. So uh, the plan is for Kitchener-Waterloo out in Ontario to get a branch uh, within the next year or so. That's the goal. Um, You know, we've got a pretty massive uh, community growing Red Deer, Calgary area. Um, And then we've got, you know, some movement going on in the prairies as well. So, you know, I'd like to see it go in like definitely one physical location with staff in every province by the end of what would that be 2026? Mm-hmm. Uh, about um, and in the in the meantime, I'll be uh, doing some education uh, for myself to take me to a different level of leadership and uh, skill set, so that in the next five years, I will uh, I do plan to get my law degree so that I can support Mamas for Mamas at a very uh, at a higher level when it comes to the national expansion. I've come across a lot of uh, situations where knowing the rules of society would help me greatly and. Uh, Knowledge is power. You know, my dad was a lawyer. It's been my dream my entire life. I got sidetracked in the beginning, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, I've made the plan. I'm going to write my LSATs next year. I'm going to do the degree over the next three, four years, and then I'm going to, you know, keep keep on keeping on. So I'm not going to leave mamas while I'm doing it. I'm just going to find a way to, you know, to balance that out. But that is my goal. That is my dream. And um, I'm going for it. So we'll see. Wow. That's we'll very see. amazing. I'm so inspired right now. I feel very lazy, <laughs> to be honest. No, please don't. Oh, no. I feel a little, uh, uh, what did we call it? Crayos. Crazy and chaos. I feel a little crayos. <laughs> well, you're doing the chaos very well. And I know there's always ups and downs, but I just think what you're contributing to the communities within Canada and, you know, here I'm, we're in the same community in Kelowna, British Columbia. It's just, again, being able to see the journey and watch it. It's just, it's very inspiring. And I think sometimes the work we do as impact leaders, yes, it makes impact, but it's also just doing the work and people seeing you doing the work is like inspiring yeah. too. And then it plants seeds in people's minds. Well, if she's doing it, well, maybe I could do something, you know, totally. if companies want to, um, be of support. So a lot of the people listening are either HR leaders or CEOs or have their own company and they want to weave impact into their organization. Is there any way you that companies can collaborate or use Mamas for Mamas as, you know, mm-hmm. an outlet for their own kind of social enterprise? Oh my goodness. Yes. Well, I'll just give you a quick okay. example. We have a 1% partnership with the most amazing company on the planet, Modern Pure Air. They do duct cleaning and air purification. How does that relate to mamas, you might ask? Well, I'll tell you. They came in (laughs) with a donation of diapers one day. Um, April came in and she goes, hey, you know, I run this thing called the Pure Kids Foundation. 1% of the funds from every branch of Modern Pure Air goes back into their local communities. But we don't have someone to really vet the people who are asking for help. And we were just kind of wondering, you know, if you guys could help us with that. So we now have... I think it was $80,000 over the last 15 months they've donated uh, back into the local communities. The money was raised. So Kelowna gets about $800 to $900 every month. And we use those funds to do 100% zero, like zero overhead. So if we get $892, then $892 goes towards the Fill the Gap Dental Program, the farm program, the you know direct client support for a mama or a kid who is struggling with a severe medical crisis of some kind. Um, And then we get to every month send them a kindness chronicle that outlines their impact and what they have helped us to do in terms of, you know, Red Deer not having an actual physical branch is not an issue because they have $1,000 in their bank account right now because of pure kids. So they're able to do direct client support before they've had to engage in the arduous task of fundraising. So any company who wants to get involved with Mamas for Mamas on a donor level, oh my God, there's a plane flying over me right now. I'm sorry. If you have a lot of you can planes that. that go by you. It's, it's I really it's, do. It's very active. <laughs> yeah, I, I live by the airport. It's awesome for podcasting. And I would do it. I'd be inside, but my kids like YouTube is blaring. It's just a whole it's, situation, Trisha. It's all good. We it's hear all- you. It's all good. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so if a company wants to get a so, yes. partner involved... They can honestly just reach out to partnerships at mamasformamas.org or even Shannon is my email at mamasformamas.org and we can get you set up with whatever works for you. Like we want the partnerships that we engage in to be mutually beneficial. 
So some people like to donate in kind. You know, we had Hello Bello donate 30,000 diapers and we gave them a tax receipt and a great shout out on social media and a big thank you. And that's all they wanted. Uh, some people want to do $5 from every sweatshirt or candle or uh, beer or whatever it is that they sell. And they give it back to Mamas for Mamas as their impact, um, you know, contribution. And then we get to tell them, this is what we did with it. This is how your donation has helped us with this mom who was, you know, she lost her leg and she wasn't able to get a ramp built. But because of your $1,500 donation and the community coming in to donate the wood and then the construction guys that came in to donate the labor, we were able to build a $6,000 ramp for a mama who lost her leg um, for about $1,500. And thank you. And this is what, you know, you have contributed for her. Now she gets to play with her son outside. It's not just about her mobility. It's about her um, attachment with her son. It's about her connection to the world. And so it's so much more than a donation when you donate to Mamas for Mamas. It is uh, contributing to the perpetuation of a movement of No Mama Left Behind. I love that. This has been such a fabulous conversation. So much wisdom from a leadership perspective to personal empowerment perspective. I feel like I actually feel like we could go on for a long time here, but I'm looking at the time. (laughs) So why don't we, again, thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Um, One last question before we kind of tie it all up and I, you know, put you on the spot a little bit as I love to do at the end, but what (laughs) is the best piece of wisdom that you have ever received? Oh, man. From like a professional coach or from like my Nana? Because, you know. Oh, man. Well, I, man go with the Nana. Or, I know. <laughs> or anywhere, really. Something that, you know, comes to mind. Like, I, this has become a mantra for me. Okay. Uh, honestly, when in doubt, be kind. There is so many opportunities uh, to choose kindness. And I don't think we do it as, as often as we could. And that's from a leadership perspective. That is from... Um, a personal perspective that is from every perspective I have, you know, if you don't know what's going on, chances are, if they're giving you a hard time, it's because they're having a hard time tenfold. When in doubt, be kind. That's powerful. And it's so simple. And it's just, just it. it's just common sense, but you know what? It's common sense. Isn't so common in, anymore. Yeah. Seems that way. Well, Shannon, you know what? Thank you for being here. Thank I am. Um, I can't wait to meet you in person and me too. stalk you on social media now as my <laughs> new favorite leadership oh, guru. You are so awesome. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on. And I'm certainly uh, no expert, but I'm willing to learn. And I think that, uh, as my dad would say, um, you know, be the dumbest person in the room and you'll always be smart as you need to be. Be he willing to learn. Wisdom. Yeah, he's a smart guy. Was. Thank you, Shannon. Okay, thanks, Trisha. So great to chat. Passion for Impact is sponsored by the Inspire Store. Need a gift that inspires? Inspire Store features exclusive ethically made goods and jewelry that embodies these three words. Yes, you can. Every purchase supports Food Banks Canada. Plus, you will receive Trisha Miltimore's popular personal development Shift Up e-course. Empowerment awaits you. Shop with Impact at inspirestore.org. If you love learning how to live and lead in a conscious and fulfilling way, and you find this show inspiring, please share with your friends, rate and review this podcast. It really helps. Hey, thanks for listening. Remember, cast your vote, make your impact, one socially conscious choice at a time. Thank you for listening to the Passion for Impact podcast. Visit passionigniter.ca forward slash podcast to subscribe for episode notes, links and special offers from show guests. Cast your vote. Make your impact. One socially conscious choice at a time.